Bran. He's arrived at uh, Castle Black. Dolores' head comes out and <laughs> looks at him. He's like, oh, thank God, it's another named character. There's just me here. Please come in. What's his name? Uh, oh, his dad, Clive Randall Tarley. Randall Tarley. <laughs> I don't know. Randall's about as stupid a name as Clive. It's Clive. Clive. My name's Clive Tarley. I work in IT. I, I, wouldn't you love it if in the Forbidden section he just found like an entire back catalogue of like Playboys? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just gone in, and it's just they're all very clearly chained down, but with a little discreet bag of wet wipes at the end of it. <laughs> Guess who's back? Back again. Da, da, da. Game of Thrones. <laughs> Still no book. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> We're back, Dave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, and uh, yeah, as we say, uh, no book from uh, from George yet. So we're oh, back George. on the series. <laughs> Do you know George Martin said in was it like 2014? Yeah. Three months, mate. Three months and it's out. <laughs> three months, not a problem. <laughs> like, to say, that's the thing, to say three months before a book comes out means it is finished, I just need to send it to the guy who makes sure I haven't accidentally copy-pasted some of my Harry Potter fan fiction in the middle of it, and then we're set, we're good to go. Like, the, the manuscript exists. <laughs> and then it's, like, slowly kind of falling back. It's like that dude at the start of Snatch. It was, like, mm. kind of two minutes Turkish, five minutes <laughs> Turkish, <laughs> three well, months, lads, six it, it, months. It, it, it really is because um, I think the last the last I heard from him was he's now saying, "Yeah, 2018 probably." And it's yeah. like, "Wow, how's it getting how's it getting longer?" Further but anyway, away. All, yeah, all that to say, um, we are oh, welcome to Shark Liver Oil. Uh, I'm Matt for a start. I'm Dave. Hello. So uh, we normally do a, a podcast about books. Um, some of the books we have podcasted about have been the Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire series. Uh, we are up to date with that. We've got um, we've got Dance with Dragons down and done. But while we wait for George to release the uh, the rest, I mean, if, it, if it's ever going to happen, while we wait for him to release <laughs> the rest of these books, um, we've been doing the series. So every week we'll be doing a podcast uh, looking at the differences between the books and the series. And uh, we're a little behind, so sorry that uh, we, we haven't got this one out straight away. But from from this week onwards now, we'll be we'll be doing the one every week following the following the series. It won't actually be that many because there's only seven episodes this season. Yeah, so, as as if they've run out of plot to put on the screen. Well. Does that, does that seem weird to you, by the way? That they've like basically in order to get those massive books into a series each before they've like. They've cut out storylines. They've cut out countries. You know what I mean. Mm. But but this time they're like kind of no. I think we can do it in seven. To be honest, like yeah. did they just want to like build a jacuzzi for the entire cast with the budget for the other three? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think I think there is on the one hand an element of the two guys who are doing it. Uh, I think they might be. A couple of them, they've gone on record a couple of times saying, yeah, we are going to be quite glad when this is finally over. There's <laughs> probably an element of that. But we're into the final lap. So um, if you want to get involved, um, we have uh, we normally ask for emails, uh, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. So that's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com if you have any comments on the series. Um, also, you can get us on Twitter at sharkliveroil and... Almost as long-awaited as George Martin's next book, uh, the Facebook page 
amazing. We're coming into the 21st century with a bang. We're, we're arriving late. in 2006 like we don't even care. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a, we've just set up the Facebook page, so I'd imagine at the moment there's just me and you on it, Dave. But um, if uh, if yeah. you want to get involved on that, um, have a look for us on on uh, on Facebook. Right, all that done. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the episode. So let's do it. Ep- uh, episode one, season seven, Game of Thrones. And it's a cold open. And it, it's Walder Frey. And this guy got got in the last episode. So, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I immediately thought, oh, it's a flashback. You know, this is like yes, the Red so Wedding again or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's, he's sort of, we find out very quickly that actually, no, this is a bit closer to sort of where we are in the series in terms of the timeline. Because he's, he's congratulating his family about, you know, what they did at the Red Wedding. And, what uh, bastards they are. Co- yeah, yeah, f- proposing a toast and all this. And it turns out that all the wine is poisoned and uh, all the phrase die. And it turns out Walder isn't Walder. Pulls his face off and it's Arya Stark. What a way to start the series. I know. That's with a bang, isn't it? There is a bit where you haven't been like... You, to really get the impact of that, I feel like you needed to watch the entire series before it, which I did last year, but didn't recently. So whereas The Red Wedding was like the culmination of eight episodes of like growing tension and angst, this is just like, ah! It's just far more <laughs> it's like being plunged into ice-cold water, and she is cold as ice in this scene. <laughs> it's just, just, a, just brilliant i'll tell you what though this is a great example of how credulous a viewer i am i went along with this for a long time being like so is this a flashback to just before he got killed Mm -hmm. is this like was this the same sort of thing and and even when people started to choke and die i Mm. was like wow he really is a son of a bitch isn't he (laughs) (laughs) i was like because it didn't seem inconsistent to me with walder frey's personality and then the skin you know the the mission impossible moment happens with the face turning into rubber and coming off and you're just like ah yeah out of interest did you see the sort of previously on immediately before this i did wasn't it glorious six seasons cut together in what was it 45 seconds or whatever it was Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it, it really was a nice was. catch up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I thought the the way that uh, the actor who plays Walder Frey as well, um, the, the way he sort of combined the two characters was good as well because you get flashes of Aya coming in um, as he does the speech, you know, yeah. towards the end. So it starts off completely like almost perfect Walder. And yeah. then as you get towards the end, it's him but being her, I just thought it was really yeah. well done from the from the actor, and um, yeah. I, I look, obviously the the line which I'm sure is going to be endlessly requoted now. This uh, there were two of them really. Winter came for House Frey, and then um, that was the rise at the end. And just before that, she says, um, "You know, you kill her. You didn't get all the Starks. Kill one wolf, and and the sheep are never safe." And, uh, that was quite that was good that was a good line <laughs> it was it really was um and i agree about the quality of his performance although i think it says something about how how already how immersed in this story world i am already um that i i what i was thinking was not wow he's doing a really good job of that performance is i was thinking wow ari is doing a really good impression of walder <laughs> frey <laughs> yeah no that's true actually yeah you could look at it that way as well um the i thought 
the uh, the guys who got poisoned, though, the phrase, they should have known something was up when he's talking about the finest arbor gold and it's yeah. red wine. Yeah, I thought that as well, and I was like, is that continuity error? Is that, like... Because it's such a weird mistake to make, isn't it? Like, presumably she knows she poisoned it. You know, uh, it's yeah. red in colour. Better not make any, you know, continuity errors in referring to it as being a light yellow colour. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I, su- I suppose, I think there's... Is it, like, Wolf Blast Yellow Label? I always expect to be white because it says yellow and it's, and it's yeah, red. No so. And, and uh, to be honest, I think red, it just yeah. it just... It just looks better, doesn't it? If it's red, because they're gonna cough it up as if they're coughing up blood and that. So yeah, I can I can yeah. give them that. No but, yeah. fools, these these production <laughs> designers. No fools, Matt. Another thing about this, Aya kills all the phrase, storms out the twins like a badass, um, leaving the, obviously the the, the the serving girls um, survive as well because she won't let them drink. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Edmure Tully still nursing the worst hangover of all time. Is in the dungeons there, and I love how she just doesn't even bother to release him. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah! I completely gr- forgotten that. That's incredible. Is there, are there any family members of mine around here? Anybody that I should care about that I'm related? No, I can't can't think of anybody. I t- tell you what, I'd best leave him in horrifying deprivation in a castle that's now empty of anybody with control of the keys, for yeah. definite. So 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 a great uh, meme about that. Just saying, you know, kills the entire phrase. Doesn't release her uncle. <laughs> <laughs> this is, right, and this is not the first time that I will use this phrase in the the, the last time that I will use this phrase in this episode. Arya Stark, no fucks given. Yes. <laughs> um, so then, then we're into the title sequence. Um, I just, the only thing I want to say about the titles this time, um, we don't have to go over the narrow sea to Essos anymore. So it's all just focused on um, yeah on 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 Westeros, and we get um. We get a little bit of Old Town as well. That's that's a new uh, new location. That was cool. Yeah, was absolutely. Good. They do their best in the Old Town sequence to make me wish I wasn't there, but actually there's a piece of me where you're like, if there's a library that size, sign me up. I wish to be there. <laughs> yeah. One weird thing about Old Town, you see that tower with the light at the top, yeah. and it looks kind of, I mean, it looks so similar to um, that the big, you know, so- Eye of Sauron in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that it, kind of, it was kind of weird at the moment That's I saw really it. funny. <laughs> That's fantastic. I ha- I didn't even notice that. So it's, oh, you so almost you, forget it now. I, I, yeah, I should go back and see it. I will refer to it as either the Eye of Sauron or the Shard, which also <laughs> looks a bit like the Eye of Sauron if you catch it with the sun in the wrong, in the wrong position. It's, uh, quite, it's disquieting, Matt, I'll tell you. <laughs> um... Now the, the the next sort of scene, as soon as we come out of the, uh, of the titles, is uh, this this bit where you just see uh, a landscape, a white landscape uh, with some like, mist coming over, and then the the White Walkers and their white or zombie army, including yeah. zombie giants, which we've got to yeah. be excited about. Shit, uh, make I, I was trying to work out whether I recognised any of those giants, and I'm sure that I must. I'm sure that they used giants that I wasn't as closely attached to as one one but there was a moment when I was like no not one one not one one don't do it mm. and they that's interesting interesting with that because one of the giants has an eye missing and obviously he got shot through the eye but um it's the wrong guy it was like it was the other uh, and also man, the north are, of the wall you are so up to your elbows in this research aren't you man I am <laughs> impressed 
Uh, well, you know, it's just something I saw on, online. I have had a, a, I think it's probably, this is benefiting from having a little bit longer to prepare because because um, we're doing this <laughs> this episode a little late. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was, so, I mean, that, that's just great as a as a setup. I got the, apparently the, the makers of this said, originally the Walder Frey, I Stark thing wasn't going to be the first thing you saw this season, but they just mm. thought, it worked so well that they, they sort of shunted things around so that's how it opened. But I could definitely yeah. imagine this being the way it cold opens um, if they'd have gone a different way, yeah. just with these, obviously the White Walkers on the way, setting it up. Which would only season. have served to make that pun more effective, Matt, let's be honest. Yeah, that um, really the, cold The open. coldest imaginable open. <laughs> um, but what a, what a lovely moment for, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Guy who plays Walder Frey, David something. Oh, um, sure. Like I mean, he's been in all sorts of stuff, like Total yeah. Hero, British TV. He was felt, he was felt in in, in, in there Harry you Potter. Go. See, he was in another year as well. Another year is a great film. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, what a, what a great thing for for him as an actor to kill it with such effectiveness that they're like, oh yeah, that's the opener. That's where we're moving. That that's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I assume that's his final scene as well. So good for him uh, yeah 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 what what a way to go out i applaud mm. you so we, we see the um the white walkers through uh bran uh so we cut to him he's arrived at uh castle black at the wall so um dolores head comes out and <laughs> looks at him is like oh thank god it's another named character there's just me here please come in <laughs> I was thinking but that's it, it for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank God. Oh, I've just put an extension on the house. Really needed some episodes up here, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he um, he's a little suspicious at first, but um, Bran sort of says, you know, I know you were at Hard Home. I know you were at the Fist, you know, blah de blah yeah. and, and Ed's like, yeah, yeah, come in. Um, yeah, which is weird to me, like, because what that really shows is that Bran has some sort of strange supernatural ability to see stuff, because mm. he knows for certain that Bran wasn't at any of those places. Otherwise, he would have been rescued before. He thinks Bran wasn't at any of those places. Otherwise, yeah. he would have rescued him, right? Yeah. Um, meaning here is this mysterious individual appearing from the land that's full of eldritch and definitely malevolent magic. Hmm. telling you things about your future that you've seen in answer to the question, how do I know that you're really Brandon Stark? Which he doesn't answer. He doesn't hmm. say, you know, I'm Brandon Stark and I was there at the feast where you were carted off to the wall, etc., etc. You know, like I know this, that. And he doesn't connect it to hmm. Ed in the slightest. He just goes, whoa, Ouija board. And for <laughs> some reason, despite the environment that he's in, Ed goes, good enough. Instead of being like, you know, get thee behind me. You stay on this side of the wall with no firewood, you eldritch horror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose um, Ed's in the sort of, at the stage now where he's thinking, well, there's not much point playing it safe anymore. We're, <laughs> the odds are stacked <laughs> against us here. That's, there's that me and a lot of extras man in the castle. <laughs> that's and, it. That's yeah. it. I tell you what, you're not convincing me, but on the other hand, screen time. Come on in, <laughs> son. Let's talk at length. <laughs> Um, even though obviously Bran is who he says he is, um, is, is this still a a mistake and a mistake that Ed would have no way of knowing about to to let Bran cross? Because if you're th- thinking about what happened with the old uh, three eyed raven and the fact mm-hmm. that because the Night King touched Bran, he could pass this sort of 
barrier of magic um, uh, that kept them out. A lot of people is, uh, were speculating at the end of the last season that this is the way the wall comes down because Bran yeah. goes past and that then allows the Night King to go past as well. And there was even there were even some people thinking as soon as Bram came through, the whole wall had come crashing down, which obviously didn't happen. But I'm just wondering, maybe yeah. that 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 is going to give uh, license for the Night King to cross the wall now. I mean, I definitely see the logic in it, and mm. that's gonna yeah, like oh man, that moment, that moment, like Bran's gonna have to learn how to do kung fu with his mind in order to make <laughs> up for that mistake, isn't he? Yeah. Although if that but, is the case, I know what you're all thinking, but I can fight him off. <laughs> In the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. well, if, that, if that is the case, I've got a bone to pick with um, with Benjamin Stark, who talked about the fact that there's this charm on the wall to keep him out, and then dropped Bran off right next to the wall. So right, <laughs> off you go. <laughs> no, you don't need to worry. There's a charm on the wall. Everything's sorted. Ancient powers will keep us safe forever. Yeah. As long as you don't go through that gate... <laughs> Just over there, through the, yeah, just knock on it, they'll come out, and then you could go through, but don't do that, because obviously that would be the end of the world, but you could. Anyway, laters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we then go down a little bit further south, not far south, to the uh, to Winterfell, where Jon um, is putting together his plan with his lords. Um, he's saying we need to find dragon glass from somewhere, because that's the way we can kill the, the White Walkers. Yeah. Um, he talks about kids uh, training children and women um, yeah. to get them ready for the for, for war. Just shows how um, desperate the situation is that um, they're training these kids now. Um, mm. It it gives a it gives a lady moments a chance to <laughs> be badass again. So <laughs> what you know. a winner that girl is! Like I just <laughs> love that they've created a character and found an actress who can carry it off, like <laughs> absolutely facing down. You know, like Tim, Tim McKinney, who admittedly previously has only been as terrifying as Captain Darling in uh, in in Blackadder, but actually in this is pretty badass. Hmm. Um, uh, but she, man, she goes toe to toe with the guy, and the line she's given just absolutely sold me on the whole thing. It's quite an achievement to take a character who's essentially like does the same thing as Elizabeth the First does, which is I'm as good as any man, and I'll fight, and you know, and, and all the rest of it. But then make her even more badass by making her a ten-year-old, like mm. <laughs> brilliant, outstanding. Yeah. Um. Also, uh, the the wildlings and I going to man the rest of the towers along the wall, which is something that happens, I think, in the books a little earlier. But um, mm-hmm. basically, John says we think the Night King is going to attack <clears throat> East Watch by the Sea, which is the castle furthest east. And Tormund's like, right, well, that's where I'm off to. I like his Love line it. where he says, um, where your where your knights watch now. He like turns to the uh, yeah. to the yeah, northern lords. Like, <laughs> that that was a really great line. Yeah, it was. Just like you could just absolutely have just stood there, arms slightly outstretched, palms upturned, fingers crooking in, come at me, crow. <laughs> like just. Absolutely, I just lo- absolutely love that mode. They're like whenever Tormund has turned into an absolute genius on the screen for me, I, I love yeah. that bloke. My love for him, by the way, is not no not in the slightest bit diminished by the fact that a year ago, I was in an extremely cheap hotel in uh, really quite remote Canada, um, yeah. and it was part of a chain. And I can't remember. I know I took the photo, but I can't remember if I ever showed you this. Um, there's a company that does like phone cards, like long distance calling cost cards for North America, where that's still a thing that you have to worry about. And yeah. um, 
and they hired him to do it, and they've got him in this absolutely, like, devastatingly sharp powder blue suit with shiny lapels and his big old Game of Thrones ginger mop and beard on, giving it the wink in the gun to the camera in order to sell long-distance phone cards. How did you get to hiring that dude for that job? I do not care. He was just out. You could just see him thinking, the bigger the smile, the bigger the check. Hey! I'd love it if... um... If he's if he was to go, I'm off to right. I'll go to Eastwatch by the sea, and John just says, "But how are we going to keep in touch?" I've got it sorted. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness you mentioned it. Sing clicks the hands, teeth glint just once, and in his hands magically appears one of those cards, and he just kind of goes, "Keep in touch." Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. Um, I, speaking of worries, I'm. Um, I'm worried for Tolman now because basically he, in the same same way I was worried for Dolores Ed, he's the mm. sort of he's a, a one one man band named character plus extras going up yeah. to the wall to go up against the entire might of the Night's King. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Mm, yeah, that's I don't tr- think he's going to make it out the season. Well, no, I don't think so either. But then I didn't think he was going to make it out last time either. Do you remember the sweepstake we did for uh, for oh, the yeah, Battle of the Bastards? Yeah. And I was like, Tormund is toast. Tormund is gone, man. Yeah. Um, but scenes that we have later on show me that they are at the very least investing in in the Tormund um, uh, Brienne romance. And <laughs> yeah. let me tell you, that's got legs. Tormund the horny Viking has legs as a character. <laughs> I'll tell you, like that's going places. And if it's not. I personally will write an angry fan letter to D.B. Weiss and uh, David Benioff. <laughs> um, in the middle of this uh, meeting, Sansa and John have an argument in front of everybody. Um, and this is about whether to give the castles that the uh, the Umbers and the Karstarks have to other families or to let the sort of descendants keep them. Um, you know, basically, do you punish the family, the families that rebelled against you, or do you ask them to re-pledge the loyalty and John goes down the route of the second. It's funny they don't talk about the Dreadfall, like the Bolton's castle. They just leave that. I assume they, they're done. They're, they're, they're not keeping the castle. There's no chance. Yeah, yeah um, no, I mean, for real. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, two two things about this, really. A, um, <clears throat> is John right? And B, is Sansa right to sort of question him in front of everybody, which I think is probably yeah. two separate things. Well, so this was a really interesting scene for me. It absolutely fulfilled its purpose of showing what John is like as the king. Um, which is incredibly effective, actually. Like, you know, you'd follow that man, right? Um, but also setting up the the thing that, you know, it's good, it's fantastic that Sansa's in a safe place and that she's, you know, that she and John are getting along. You know, they're a very formidable duo. Mm. But they're, they're both only there because of Peter Baelish, who is sitting at the back, stroking his greasy beard, rubbing his <laughs> greasy thighs, and cackling silently. So an yeah. enormous achievement by Aidan Gillen to create a character who can cackle without making a single noise. But yeah. that's exactly what he does with his eyes and that little oleaginous grin. Um, so that set up that whole thing. There's clearly a fault line running through this whole thing of, you know... Baelish has got his claws in Sansa like she's she's very self-aware but there's a definite and real chance that he'll be you know after 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 the creepiest uh, snowman making session in the universe a couple of seasons <laughs> back um you know there's really is a chance that she's you know that he's in her head in a way that she doesn't even really know about um and 
uh, and that and this argument was the first kind of flowering of that, where she's like, "Well, I'm the Stark in Winterfell," sort of thing, and she and he's like, "Yeah, well, I'm the King in the North." Hmm. Um, and I think it is a sign of extreme Cersei-ishness that because there's a really interesting conversation they have after this, where you know a, a comparison is openly drawn between Cersei and and Sansa, and it's definitely a Cersei-ish thing to be like harsh and publicly harsh and not to care about who you undercut or undermine in order to publicly act out that harshness. Mm. And I think that that is going to be a part of Sansa's character that's going to continue to emerge. Yeah. There is, there is a, um, a feeling that she's been painted to possibly be on the edge of turning a little darker. I, thought, I think that that's the case with a few of the characters, actually, um, well, which, which adds, adds an extra level of sort of tension, doesn't it? Um, I think I think there's probably an argument to be made either way about whether you um, take these castles off those families or not. Yeah, um, that's true. But I, I do think the way the way that she does it in that like in the middle of the hall like stands yeah. up and contradicts him doesn't help. Yeah. But having said that, I think that's quite good because it does show that she's a bit of a mixture, Sansa, isn't she? she? She's she feels she's learned from and she has learned from people like Littlefinger and, and to a lesser extent Cersei about how politics works. She's nowhere near as naive as she used to be, which is obviously... No, no that's true. You know, no, when she was in King's in... Landing. Yeah. But, but at, at the same time, she's still quite inexperienced with how you do all this kind of stuff in that yeah. she doesn't think, you know, I'll wait till a bit later or oh, I'll have this conversation with John before we get to this point. She just immediately, when she hears this, thinks, I don't think that's right, so speaks up. Yeah, um, But off. yeah, sometimes maybe there's a better way of doing it. Yeah, totally, and and um, and I think that's a. It is an interesting thing here where you see her character develop and become a touch darker and become a, kind of more more calcified in the way that people often do when they grow up into worse habits than you would have hoped for for them. Hmm. And that's and you know obviously she's been through huge trauma, so no, I don't know if anybody can really blame her for that. But it's so dangerous. Like, what's the one thing that we've had reiterated to us again and again and again about the the lords of the north is that you have to show yourself above all not to take any shit. Hmm. And I thought John's response was amazing in in demonstrating the necessary mercy of a leader. Because hmm. um, he can't afford to go around killing an entire two entire families, which are you know been preeminent in the north forever. Yeah. Um, you know, and you those two kids are going to serve him now forever. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like, there's no way they're turning back because they know they've just got their castles and their lives back. Like, yeah. and it's it's an incredibly smart thing to do if you don't buy into the idea of you know all politics is war, and if you're not killing somebody, you're being killed by them, which is mm. very much what Sansa has learned from Cersei and from her time in King's Landing and with Ramsay and so on. Like, you know, there's good reasons why she believes that. But I do sort of love that John, who grew up in the North, was a bastard, went to the Night's Watch, where his purpose was just to die killing something worse than him, mm. has come back feeling a greater sense and understanding of how to be merciful. And it was great. Like, I can't remember the last time that I saw on screen the best a better enactment of what mercy looks like and why it is a good thing to do. Hmm. Yeah. Let's go on to the next scene, which is uh, in King's Landing. There's this cracking map being painted on the floor. <laughs> you can almost hear the of. director going, listen, there's going to be a lot of battle talk over the next few weeks, and we are conscious that in the first series, nobody had a pissing clue where any of this was going on. <laughs> How can we do this? What if we just had them standing on top of a massive map? Like a massive, <laughs> unmanageably enormous map. 
Yeah. Also, I like the how... Westeros map book coming this autumn. Right? <laughs> yeah. I like how it mirrors the um, the map table, which you find in Dragonstone, where Daenerys is, yeah. is going to end up at the end of this episode. Yeah. Um, so, Jamie and uh, Cersei are talking about... Uh, interestingly enough, Jamie doesn't seem to... I mean, is I thought the fact that Cersei blew up the city, or half the city, with wildfire last last season... Yeah. Um, precisely the thing that Jamie, you know, gave up everything and killed the Mad King to stop was yeah. going to be like the thing that broke these two apart. But obviously not. He's not happy about it. But he's not exactly going to do anything. Um, yeah. Well, and so. and I think I think he's got nowhere to go. Like he's yeah, dead interesting. That sets up a really interesting dynamic for me. Is he's got nowhere to go, and his whole experience has actually given him a sense of, like, a, a desire to orient himself towards, like, honourable behaviour, even though he is a total bastard. Like, he's trying to go through his own redemptive arc, and he's clear that that definitely shouldn't involve blowing up the city, indirectly mm. causing the death of his son, and so on. Yeah. But um, but he also is a Lannister and a good political operator, and he's like, leaving now would be my death warrant nobody will take me in you know what i mean like i might yeah. be the best fighter in the kingdom but that's with a hand that no longer exists you know like i'm what am i supposed to do and and that's great because that means that now you have these scenes like the next scene in the in the throne room where he's palpably nervous about his position and what cersei will do and it's mm. so good seeing that performance of both complete jamie lannisterish arrogance undercut with this sort of holy crap what is going to happen now kind of mm. thing yeah i think he's continuing to to um be surprised at how little humanity is left in cersei as well like he when he he says oh we need to talk about what happened to tommen and she just sort of shuts him down and says oh you know he betrayed us by killing himself effectively um and then she rolls <laughs> rolls on yeah, yeah I, I milk think of human point is, kindness very much yeah jeez yeah Interesting point as well that she ma- that um, that he makes when she says the Lannister names all that matters. Jamie's like, "It's just us, you know. We've no kids left." Yeah. So um, I mean, I almost expected him to go, but I guess we could always make some more. And she'd be like, <laughs> not, "Yeah, not you know, in, in the porn version, that's exactly where it would have gone." And I think we can all agree, thank God, such a version doesn't exist, as far as I know. Definitely not googling it though. <laughs> So, yeah, we then move to the throne room where um, Euron Greyjoy arrives. Okay, Euron Greyjoy. I mean, <laughs> he is, on the one hand, utterly ridiculous. In the way. He's, like, he's almost like a cartoon. But on the other, I can't, I can't help but just find him endlessly entertaining. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, he's got a twinkle in his eye and he knows it, doesn't he? Like he's which is quite an achievement for somebody who's supposed to be leading the Ironborn, who was supposed to be, you know, the biggest bunch of bastards in the history of bastards. Yeah. Um The History of Bastards, by the way, a book that um uh that <laughs> that that um Sam is about to encounter in the Citadel for real. Hmm. Um The Big Westerosi <laughs> Book of Bastards, a colouring book for the under tens. Um <laughs> But um, but he does do it with a certain elan, doesn't he? And I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. So he's um, he's making this proposal of a basically a marriage alliance. He's winding up Jamie at every opportunity. One of the final things he says is, "Here I stand with a thousand ships and two good hands," and like looks at him. <laughs> it's just yeah, great. it's like yeah. 
Um, but uh, I mean, this is this going to be is this going to be a problem for you? In that, I mean, it's in, how unrealistic it is that this guy's suddenly made a thousand ships. Um, <laughs> we, we, we talked about Don't this in the last series. Don't ask continuity questions, Matt. Don't <laughs> ask them, and you'll be yeah. happier. We talked about this in the last series, though, that he sort of he sort of stands there after being made king of the Iron Islands and says, make me a thousand ships. And it's sort yeah. of, A, with what? Because they've hardly any trees <laughs> on the island. And B, like, how do you make ships that quickly? But anyway. Have- <laughs> yeah, like, make me... Th- and they are impressive ships as well, aren't they? You know, they're all yeah. finely carved into the shape of various terrifying uh, sea animals, you know, particularly whatever they are. Uh, yeah. Krakens. Um, yeah. You know, it's a bit. Where did you get those? Then you're on. Like, did you did you like drop off somewhere? You know, unseen and conduct a, a whittling masterclass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I I do not believe that that is an accurate yeah. uh, depiction. But then again, this is a world containing zombies and dragons. So what am I doing talking about accuracy? Yeah, yeah. I know it was just a bit weird because I, I know some time has passed, but unless it's sort of ten to fifteen years, I don't see how they've <laughs> built all these shit. Anyway, um, no. This is where this is where you need to do the sort of lost conclusion or the lost. Uh, the lost solution thing, which is just to say, there's a whole other part of these islands we've never been to that contains yeah. a thousand ships underground. Yeah, yeah, um, maybe that's the case. <laughs> yeah, maybe, and, um, maybe that is. If it is the case, I will be angry though, Matt. Let me be very yeah. clear. If that is the case, if this is going in a lost direction, I will not be a happy man. <laughs> so I think I think we're going to have to just sort of set aside uh, that question and just start to sort of roll with it. But um, anyway, Cersei doesn't accept this marriage proposal at least she doesn't straight away she says uh no i'm not doing that and euron says well i'll return with a gift and uh and then we'll uh then we'll see (laughs) um i was going to ask you about what you thought this gift was but there's probably little point because episode two which is also out now um we kind of we kind of find out so we'll leave that for now but we can we can i mean I, i would say in a universe where episode two didn't exist um, because I haven't seen it yet, actually. So, you know, yeah. from my position of ignorance at this point, um, I'm going to guess that it's his schlong. <laughs> I would just, I'd, I'd just love it if he had the swagger to sort of walk <laughs> out of the room, having said that, wait three seconds, turn around, back in, and just be like, just kind of, not walk out with it hanging out, because you don't want to be crass. You know, it's a throne room. She's a queen. <laughs> um, but just kind of stand there, hands on hips, thrust slightly forward, grinning coyly you know what i mean like that's and you know that do you know that that actor could sell that as well by the way you know that that, that's what it would look like yeah um okay uh so let's uh move on to the next next uh scene is uh basically sam's shit show over in the um (laughs) over in the citadel he's uh he's finding out that life is a whatever is an acolyte or whatever isn't um isn't all it's cracked up to be? It's not all books and uh, and learning. He's also got to make the make the dinner, uh, clean up the uh, the 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 little pots that the that the old men pee and crap into, which is <laughs> so disgusting. And what it is. It, I mean, the the way this is cut, I think, is really well done actually, because you really get a sense of the like disgusting monotony of his life at the moment is it but there's there's one bit i watched this originally on quite a small screen and then when i rewatched it um a little extra 
element of horror in it was when he removes one chimp pant and you just see a little turd floating in it. It's like, oh, oh, no. no. The whole, for me, it was the, the well-established, the queasily and extremely strongly established parallel between the slop they eat and the slop that it turns into on the other end. Yeah, yeah. And just like having the food trays, the food pans and the bed pans look exactly the same. An extremely questionable housekeeping decision there by the way, imagine getting one of those in the wrong washing up pile. And you just eat <laughs> eating your bean slop, Matt. You're just sitting there eating it because you're committed to the life of asceticism that comes with being a maester and you're just thinking, there's more shit in this than there usually is. Grim. Let's not ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the meantime, as he's doing all this stuff, he's also you know, putting books back on the library and looking longingly towards the forbidden section where you can't go in. It's interesting that um, in... In this world, knowledge is guarded so jealously. You know, yeah. there are there are certain books that um, the Meisters believe people aren't ready to read. Yeah, if you like, which is 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 a strange concept in a world where we live with the internet and where yeah. any information, pretty much all like learning information, is just passed around almost freely. Yeah, um, yeah, and and this was really interesting for me particularly because I'm reading at the moment um, a book which I might be interesting for us to do on the podcast at some point, but maybe not. Have you ever read the uh, the Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco? Uh, no, it's fantastic. You should read that book. Um, but it part of it can it's set in an abbey, like in a medieval abbey yeah. uh, in Italy, and um, and part of it is about um, access to knowledge. And there's this fantastic library that nobody's ever allowed to go in. You know, only the librarians ever allowed to go in, and they tightly control the access to knowledge. And so mm. this thing in Game of Thrones is super. Like you know, this ha- this is one of the things that really does reflect something that really happened for a long time. Books were so valuable and difficult to make that they were you know finally illuminated they were made out of animal skin they took years to produce and so Mm. they were chained up um and there's actually a couple of churches in the uk that still have a chained library oh wow um yeah really fascinating things to see because they are books with big off chains put through the through uh through the spines of them um because they were so valuable and because they were so difficult to replace Mm. so um so those those two things added up to me to me this particular scene going yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm, yeah. Recognise that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, they then cut to a scene with John and the Archmaster, who's a Jim. Uh, he doesn't get a name, but he's basically Jim Broadbent is the actor. Oh, uh, Jim very Broadbent. Famous, uh, I tell you what, is there anybody left on the list of fantastic British actors who has now not had a speaking role in <laughs> Game of Thrones? I, you know, like, I, you know, Stephen Fry. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Sheen, you know what I mean? Like you've got to go quite far down the list before you're like, oh well. I wonder what he'll be oh, in season eight. Poor Stephen Fry, quite far down the list. That's oh it. well, hey, no, I'm a fan <laughs> of Stephen Fry, but you know he's a writer and a raconteur and a presenter, and he acts as well to yeah, me. But yeah. um, um, you know, maybe that's. I case. think. I think. I think. Want to start um, a beef with Stephen Fry? Fucking hell, he take my head off. <laughs> I think uh, this uh, this character though. In the same way that, do you remember when Sam arrived at the Citadel and there's this guy at a desk saying you've got to register and he's proper like jobs worthy but in a way that is very first day of university feeling. <laughs> I, I that thought, absolutely was, I remember that. Thinking yeah. about, talking about that with you, having experienced the same first day at university and going, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I recognise you. Well, this guy <laughs> is, um, is the perfect sort of incredibly intelligent and also 
super condescending like professor he just thinks all like students are almost pitiably thick (laughs) (laughs) and the thing about those professors was that like certainly in your first year in retrospect they were absolutely justified in taking such an attitude absolutely justified and it is a bit like i was really feeling sam's frustration here i was like because the whole sequence of him slopping out and putting books up and so on because he's not yet a mason um I totally understand, but there was a bit of me that was like, you know he's here to get knowledge that would prevent the destruction of the world, right? Yeah. Probably probably take him off toilet duty, give him an extra couple of hours in the library a day, you know. Like, yeah. Um, uh, so, but this was a really, I really liked the way that, where in the past Game of Thrones has really, like, drawn out these moments of extreme character frustration, really sort of stepped on him uh, to make you feel them, and has done so very effectively, uh, even though I haven't enjoyed any of those experiences. I kind of liked with this one that they were like, right, he's experiencing this, but really we do have to get a wriggle on here. Let's, you know, we've got 13 episodes after this one, and, you know, winter's not going to get any cl- any further away. Um <laughs> And uh, and it was great. I love Jim Broadbent in this. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, and I think the way Sam's been treated is really well explained here with this. When when the Archmaster says, you know, we're, we're the memories. We're different to the rest of the rest of the world. And yeah. also, you know, yeah, you, Sam's don't come down here going, oh, the world's going to end. I need to get this information. And this guy basically says, oh yeah, everyone's always saying the world's going to end. We've had crises before. We've always survived, and it's an over. It's been over dramatic to say the world's going to end. It'll just be, you know, a difficult time for humanity, effectively. And it's the kind of thing that, said by someone so intelligent as well, it's mm. the kind of thing that is very easy to believe because you want to believe it. But yeah. at the same time, you know, I think we we're being told here from the way the story's being told that it's different this time and if yeah. if the you know if people there is a chance that you know if the white walkers get as far as old town the maesters are gone as well yeah yeah absolutely and that would be and i actually think that prospect is very very sobering for me because um uh i've been as it happens recently i've been um reading quite a lot about old stores of knowledge in the ancient world mm. and um uh which you know have been have been destroyed in the past by um you know extremists and nutters of, of various stripes who believe that any knowledge is um knowledge is dangerous basically mm. and to me these these library scenes are something really beautiful i just i love i'm a i'm a geek i'm a history nerd i did a degree for a reason i flipping love it i love being in the archives and so and i love that and the prospect of that being destroyed is just like this incalculable loss Mm. um and and i thought the archmaster did a really good job of expressing sort of why that is you know why learning is important doesn't justify the dickish behavior of most of the maesters (laughs) that we've seen in this series but the fact is you know you need a cultural memory you need something that's telling the world what it has been and what it could be Mm. um and yeah that just the idea of white walkers rolling into old town you know it got me in the feels don't mind telling Mm. you yeah something that just before we leave sam um i thought i'm just i don't want to make too many criticisms of the show but this this is one that i i was a bit confused about sam stole his dad's like priceless sword in the last uh like last series and it does, yeah. and then he's he's arrived at the citadel and gone through a long time of sort of this monotonous stuff. Yeah, like 
why has his dad not gone after him and said, give him a fucking sword back? <laughs> I mean, humiliation, possibly. You don't want it to be known that you've lost your that you've lost your magic steel sword yeah, and that you've maybe. lost it to somebody who, you know, for miles around has been known as a craven and a weakling and somebody who's apparently worthless. Yeah. Um, I could well see... Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, his dad, Clive Randall Tarly. Randall Tarly. <laughs> I don't know. Randall's about as stupid a name as Clive. It's Clive. Clive. <laughs> My name's Clive Tarly. I work in IT. Um <laughs> I'm in HR, actually. Yeah. Is Cal um, Drogo's cu- cubicle buddy? Cal <laughs> <laughs> Drogo and Clive Tarly were mates working together in the basement. <laughs> um, sure. They're, they're like a drink after work, just the one. Just the one. You need to be careful. Half half a warm litter, and then and then home to uh, to uh, administer the uh, the forums that I'm uh, leading light of discussing fan fiction. Uh, in the Tech Wars universe. Um, <laughs> uh, no, like the idea that this guy is such a dickhead that actually he could be shamed by the very fact of the theft. Mm. Um, although, you know, also we don't know how far away, or I don't know anyway, because I'm ignorant, don't do my research, um, how far away from uh, the seat of the Tali's old town is, whether mm. he's got, you know, different things on his mind. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe maybe there was a scene that got cut out of the last series where Randall Tarley just you know he's standing up, standing on the battlements watching Sam and Gilly take off with a sword and an illicit baby, and just gets a bit dewy eyed, and, and and his his older brother just gets ready. He's right, Dad, I'm going to go and kill him, and he just goes, No, wait, leave him be, <laughs> leave him be, and there's just a little proud smile on the side of his face. <laughs> The strings swell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that idea. Let, let, let's say that happened. He was like, Head "Oh, leaving to it." Yeah. <laughs> um, then we back up to back up to Winterfell. Brienne's uh, training pod. Um, and Sorman loves she's, a bit of it. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? As soon as he arrives, it just sort of <laughs> that big old grin. And, uh, and pod I gets love like how shoved. puppy she is as well. Like he's yeah. from a culture where. Strong women are respected, but disrespect of women is not at all taboo, right? Yeah. But he's just, he's just, he's not even like, (laughs) I will have her now. He's just like, she is the single greatest woman in the living universe. (laughs) Just his absolute kind of devotion to how much of a badass she is. And it's so beautiful to see. And I I love the fact that she's so awkward about it as well. She hasn't got a clue what to do with his stupid puppyish bounding around. You know, she's she's got a queen to look after. So she's sort of like, uh, what? Yeah, maybe. Sorry, I've got to kick the crap out of this teenager now, you know. I love it when, I'll tell you when what, she, though, when she tell shoves him when she shoves a uh, pod to the floor as well, and he just goes to him, "You're a lucky man." Yeah, <laughs> what a line! What a line! I'll tell you what else as well, though. Flipping pod for the Iron Throne, it's still on. <laughs> he's still alive. <laughs> My pet theory: pod for the Iron Throne. I love that he survived. He's the other one who I was convinced was going to get it last time. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and he pulled through. Um, then we cut up to the top where uh, little Sly Bales. Uh, Peter Baelish uh, goes up to uh, Sansa. <laughs> Sly Bales, <laughs> <laughs> and he, he he sort of tries to sidle up to her and like you know see how she's getting on, and she just shuts him down completely. Um, yeah. So it, it, it makes you question, you know, I wonder where Littlefinger goes this season. 
Um, yeah. He seems to be a bit at a bit of a loose end and a bit of a loss of what to do with himself at the moment. I'm sure that won't last, though. No, sure, but I mean, he would have to be kind of an idiot, like given given the emerging political reality of three different monarchs looking to be in charge of. Well, two different monarchs looking for the throne and one monarch just being like, I really do not care about your internal politics. The world is ending just over the horizon. Um, but, you know, these three <laughs> bodies, and he's lined up with one of them, and he's lined up with the one that's in an extremely strong position, even though it's on the front line in terms of yeah. people and, and so on. Um, you know, it's a bit like he'd have to be an idiot to try and screw things up, but the point is he's there to make me nervous that he will decide to screw things up. And because it's Baelish, I believe mm. he could do it. Yeah. Um, the the next scene, Arya comes across a group of Lannister soldiers, including Ed Sheeran, as I I don't know as Ed Sheeran as a yeah, Lannister soldier. Much. Yeah, as as I can't really even be bothered to style my hair in a different way. Fuck it, this is about as close to Game of Thrones as anybody needs to get, isn't it? Put the armor on me and I'll sing. And then I'll deliver like um like Macy Gray in uh, in no no even better like Tom Jones in Mars Attacks. You ever seen that? <laughs> this is I've seen Mars Attacks. I don't remember Tom Jones. Oh no, so yeah, Tom jo- yeah, he's, he's in yeah, it as exactly. himself. <laughs> so he's in it as himself because they invade Vegas. Spoilers <laughs> and 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 he's there giving it all. You know, it's not unusual on screen <laughs> on on stage. And then in the middle of the song, and he's killing it because he's Tom Jones and he's singing, obviously. And then in the middle of the song, the aliens burst in and they start doing some unspeakable, unimaginable, whatever. And um, and he has to do a reaction shot and, and a line. And it is awful. It is like, this is why you don't cast singers in roles like this. And then Ed Sheeran goes and does a bloody Tom Jones. Absolutely right there on screen. He sings and you're like, right, well, he's Ed Sheeran, so he can sing. Safe. And then he has to do some line. And I forget even what the line was, but I remember thinking, oh, Ed. Yeah. I mean, oh, you, you can you can forgive Mars Attacks because it's a comedy. But, I mean, this is supposed to be... You're supposed to be, <laughs> Sorry, like, in, this, in this universe. You know? Yeah. Um, and I didn't really have much of a problem with the, with how he acted. It was just the fact that he was there, obviously, as Ed Sheeran. It's like, it really... Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, it, it really dropped me out of the universe because... I, did, yeah. I couldn't take any of this scene seriously because I, I suddenly was very aware that I was watching a piece of television TV rather than being drawn yeah. into a universe. Be- and I just thought it was it was such a... Um, I don't know. It just felt like a, a really uh, shoddy way to treat your audience. I, 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 think it's, I think it's different if you don't know who he is. And it's interesting. I've listened to a couple of a, a podcasts in America on mm. Game of Thrones and mm. hardly anyone knows who he is over there. So it's like, oh, this little oh, really? known... Yeah, so it's this little known singer. Did some, like, massive tour or something like that? Yeah, but it's still, you know, it's different. But the thing is, if you listen in America, the weird thing is over here, like, everyone knows who this guy is. So it's kind of like Tom Jones turning up as Tom Jones in Game of Thrones. Yeah, <clears> or and actually, asking you it, to it, believe in it as a dramatic universe. Yeah, so it was. Ju- this was just like I mean, we've had there have been actually British artists, less famous British artists in Game of Thrones in the past. Uh, Gary Lightbody, the lead singer of Snow Patrol, uh, the, the the drummer from um, from Coldplay, what? they've both what? been in it. What? A few others as well. Let's, yeah, yeah. Let's roll that back. Let's just let's just wait a cotton picking moment here. Gary Lightbody <laughs> was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, he was one of the Bolton um, like 
nice but this is the point you didn't know who he was you didn't recognize him yet because they're always sort of like standing off to one side in a scene yeah just having a cameo yeah and and made up in a certain way that you can't really unless you're told you can't really tell who they are whereas this is just like it just felt like um it felt like Donald Trump in Home Alone, you know, like he's, he's sort of he's paid some money just to be in it, and like, oh yeah, yeah. and you can be, you can have a speaking role. Just so weird and like, just so unnecessarily crap. I just yeah. thought anyway, it really pissed me off. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, it, maybe it got a few Ed Sheeran fans to watch the show. So congratulations, yeah, I mean, you know, however yeah. many million people are already watching it wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Actually, do you know what, Matt? I've just done a quick little thing, and I, I don't know what podcast you're listening to, but Ed Sheeran's last two last two records have gone to the, like number one in the Billboard charts in the US. Like, I yeah. can't see how it's been possible to. He's, he's definitely not a sort of little known indie darling. <laughs> this there, strange you know? British guy. Yeah, yeah. sold. Yeah. Uh, yeah, two million copies of the one he put out in 2014. Yeah. Well, I don't um, know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it irritated me more than than many other people but oh my goodness <laughs> it just it just ruined this scene for me and and uh like i just yeah like i say the rest of this i was just i was like oh this is bollocks um yeah. it's a group of nice lannisters it's a shame because one of the other uh soldiers is played by one of the guys who was in this is england and um and i oh, quite like yeah. him it's, yes it's, it's, thank it's, it's you i that, hadn't i yeah i was trying to put his, a name to the face yeah it's weird how that doesn't bother me the fact that i recognize an actor um, yeah, because he's acting. The singer thing does, but maybe it's because yeah. yeah it's, well, this is just, uh, uh, well, it just felt weird. There's an interesting sort of couple of things here about this particular scene and, and putting Ed Sheeran in it. Um, first is that um, I recently saw Dunkirk, the Christopher Nolan movie. Have you seen it? Uh, not yet, but um, I think you, there's a plan to see it. Maybe think tomorrow. You bloody should, Matt. It's, it's spectacular. One of the greatest films I've ever seen. I, I say that I say that advisedly, but it's got Harry Styles in it. Yeah, yeah. This, this is this is a guy who's seen yeah. Mars Attacks. <laughs> yeah, let's let's be real. It's even better than Mars Attacks, Matt. Um, it, but it's got Harry Styles in it from One Direction, right? And the moment I heard about that casting, I was like, "That is a disgrace. What are you doing? You're telling this incredibly somber story, and you're going to put flipping floppy-haired boy band boy in it." And I have to say, he acquitted himself fairly well. And I discovered, yeah. actually, that he was cast... This is brilliant. Like, despite the fact that One Direction had been absurdly, you know, popular and very successful and so on, and, you know, girls swoon and, and you know, fling themselves towards stages and stuff, um, Christopher Nolan is, a you know, successful enough filmmaker that he doesn't know or care about any of that. So he had no idea who he was. So they went through, like, an audition process for about 150 people before he cast this guy, right? Um, mm. And at that point, I'm like, kind of, do you know what? Fair enough. You got it on merit. That's great. But Ed Sheeran in this makes me think, uh, no, right, you know, you wanted to be in Game of Thrones and you've got mates on the production team and, you know, sweet. Um, but it did, it dumped me out of the scene as well. But actually, mm. I kind of didn't mind the way that it dumped me out of the scene because what it did was I was absolutely smack down, drag out, convinced that Ed Sheeran would not allow himself to be in a scene being unpleasant to Arya Stark. So where mm. any other scene like this, Arya Stark rolls up and there's a load of soldiers in Lannister colours sitting around a fire going, do you want some food? You'd be like, oh, well, somebody's dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um because Ed Sheeran is doing the singing, you're like, all right, 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's not... Yeah. <laughs> No, no, fair enough. Well, whatever. So this actually became a moment of light relief for me. And that worked yeah. because I'm so used to being like caught frozen in this horrendous, uncomfortable position between being terrified Arya's going to die and being terrified that her interminable storyline is going to continue. Yeah. And, um, and, and so this scene was actually quite nice. It was like, all right, do you know what? It's a reset. You know, she's actually got somewhere and done something. So wicked. Um, mm. and, uh, and, and, you know, and he, here she is having a scene at the end of which neither she nor anybody else is in mortal danger for their life. Sweet. Um, <laughs> and so, so I actually, it totally dumped me out as well, but I kind of didn't mind being dumped out uh, at that point. Yeah. I don't know if this was because I was dumped out of it a bit, but also I'm not even sure, even if Ed Sheeran wasn't in this, that I wouldn't have thought this was a bit a bit like unbelievable in that they were just so nice they just come across <laughs> the nicest group of lads they're all they're all really lovely and like sharing and you know one's talking about his 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 kid is hard one's talking about his yeah. dad who he misses one's talking about how you know girls are, are much nicer than boys because you know they don't go off to war and all this and i was like what there's not one like mouthy chippy guy here like oh yeah. like who I just thought it was a bit, a little bit unrealistic in that sense. Although I suppose there is a a, a, a sort of a nice and area of and of, of this world that we haven't really encountered before. In that, you know, because this war's been going on for so long now, all the a lot of the guys who've been um, like hardened and brutalized by war um, have either died or are somewhere else now. And these guys are yeah. the sort of the sons who've just been at home. And it's yeah. their, they're very green, and it's their first experience of it. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's that is a very interesting and good point. But yeah, you don't. I mean, I suppose in a sense, it's a testament to how well they've built their world that the presence of people who are not unutterably violent bastards in a single scene in Game of Thrones genuinely throws you for a loop. You're like, oh, oh, the milk of human kindness. Oh, that's <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> Let's uh, move on to the next scene. And speaking of. Uh, brutalized by war we meet the hound again and the brotherhood without banners um they come across this farmer's house in the cold snow mm. um the, the the hound exchanges some quite brutal banter with thoris of mere um <laughs> i like the um the the, the 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 top knot's not fooling anyone <laughs> he's calling him yeah bald. <laughs> yeah that that was one of the moments where i was like a You've dumped me right out of the world there because that is a hipster gag if ever I heard one. But B, <laughs> very well executed and well done indeed. <laughs> um, so they go into this farmer's house and um, this is the... I think that you, you helped here if you've seen the previously on. But um, there's a there's a callback here to, what, four seasons ago now? where um, Or maybe three <laughs> seasons ago where the hound and I stayed with this farmer and his daughter who took them in. And uh, oh. yeah, and the hound ended up robbing him, and uh, yeah. and and saying to Aya, "Oh, they'll be dead by winter anyway." And yeah. um, it turns out the hound was right because uh, the the dad and the daughter's bodies are in the corner. Um, they've yeah. they've died. It looks like of starvation, and uh, the hounds obviously well, no, not of starvation. It looks like they were gonna starve, and so they he like the dad killed the kid and then killed yeah. himself. So yeah, we we have this whole. It's interesting for what it says about how the hound's character has changed, isn't it? That he feels yeah. the re- uh, remorse about this now, and he buries them in the. Um, he buries them outside. Says, "I'm I'm sorry, you're dead." 
<clears throat> and uh, it's interesting also what what this says about the the wider thing about Beric being brought back and justice in this world. It's interesting yeah. that um, yeah, the Hound says there's no justice in the world. If there was, um, you'd be dead and they'd be alive. And also, he questions. He sort of looks at Beric and and rather rather rudely, but. Fairly, fairly insightfully, <laughs> the, the hound being killed. Yeah, yeah. You astonish me. Fairly insightfully asks, you know, why you? You, you just, you're average. You know, I don't. Yeah. You know, you're not particularly hateable. You're not particularly great. You're just one of the most bang average lords in the whole book. <laughs> why do you keep being brought back to life? I just thought it was quite an interesting question from a reader's point of view as well. Yeah, and I I think it takes a certain as as we know, like as as fans of British comedy, we have a soft spot for Beric Dondarrion because he's being played by somebody last seen having a really terrible cock and balls drawn on his back in chalk in uh, in Alan Partridge. I, I don't I, right okay. I I don't think that's true. I think he just looks like him because I I no um, I think it is. Is it definitely him? I'm sure I think, it well, isn't. Now you said that, I have to go to IMDb, don't I? Yeah, because um, I, I thought that originally. But I think yeah, he just no, looks I mean, like him. If he's not, he's doing a bloody good impression of him. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, okay, well, all right, that notwithstanding, um, it does take balls for an actor to to charm his way, because he does respond to that with a good deal of charm. You come out of the scene liking him more, the guy who plays yeah. Dendarrion, and that's quite an achievement for saying that you've got a more prominent character going, you, what is the point of you? Why you? Why? Just why? And he's like, I know. And actually, it became quite a nice character sort of moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because he, he's, he's, um, he's got plenty of humility himself, Beric, with this, isn't he? So I, I don't know. And I ask that every day myself, but I'm here, so I've just got to work it out. You know? Yeah. What else can I do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and do you know what, Matt? You are right, I am wrong. The guy from the Iron Partridge episode, <laughs> though he looks exactly the same, is not in Game of Thrones. And I'm very sad about that. And I now care about him shame. measurably less. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we also have this, in this, this scene, uh, the Hound is asked to look into the flames and he gets a, a dose of the, uh, of the Red God here. In that he sees yeah. stuff in in the fire. He sees the the dead army walking up, marching towards Eastwatch. Although I'm not sure yeah. he says the name of the castle, um, but yeah. but he, yeah. he says you know it's it's on the it's on the coast and there's a hill and there's a castle and all this. Um, this is this is going some interesting places for me. I'm quite excited to see what happens here with the Brotherhood. They're obviously heading north to to fight the White Walkers or. You know, yeah. to, to 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 do what they can. Um, there's a really uh, good bit in this sort of in the trailer where it's sort of Beric in the snow, setting his his, his sword on fire, like getting ready to fight. So I'm looking forward to seeing mm. what happens there. Um, yeah, I suppose that's a very I, mild spoiler. Yes, just slightly, but <laughs> that's okay. I think we we know where it's going. Yeah, that's that, um, that, that's that's the chicken passander of spoilers. That isn't. <laughs> 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 that was beautiful, man. Um, yeah, I, I um I really like this because I like 
as with Jamie Lannister, I like the Hound for a totally reprehensible character who has gone on a morally complex journey. And for several points during this scene, I really loved the fact that he basically, he strongly asserts a particular moral code. Even though he has no reason, as somebody in this world who has been screwed by um, even the protection given by the kind of norms of violence and so on in this world... He has no reason to believe in a moral code, but it's baked into him that he's like, you know, such and such is wrong, such and such is right, such and such is worthy, such and such is not worthy, you know. Um, mm. And then he has this religious experience, sort of spiritual experience, which, you know, to, in another piece of fiction would be a road to Damascus moment, and he'd turn into, you know, a sort of bigger, more terrifyingly scarred version of... Uh, of um, Stannis Baratheon's wife, right? Mm. You know, an absolute zealot for this particular religion. And I love that. He's true enough to his character that though he goes through this extraordinary experience, he is still very much, you know, kind of um, sceptical and rejecting and grumpy and not about to give up who he is just mm. because he's seen something that, that changes what he believes about things or gives him reason to question what he believes about things. And I really appreciate that because that's, that's true nuance in the experience of something spiritual, kind of religious conversion, which mm. generally you don't get. When somebody, usually in a piece of fiction, when somebody goes through a religious conversion, it is in order to make them less deep a character and to just enable them to fulfill, you know, plot role A. And mm. and so I actually really appreciated this sequence. Yeah. Um, I also absolutely can't get over the fact that I now buy Paul Kay as, a, you know, a genuine nuanced character with beliefs and so on, because in my head he will always be Dennis Pennis. But <laughs> wonderful, you know. I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about having those new experiences. Um, we then go back to Old Town or Mordor because you got the uh, <laughs> got the <other> tower, <laughs> and um, and Sam sneaks into the uh, sneaks into the library, the forbidden section. Um, I, I wouldn't you love it if in the forbidden section he just found like an entire back catalogue of like. Playboys, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just gone in, and it's just they're all very clearly kind of all very clearly chained down, but with a little discreet bag of wet wipes at the end of it, <laughs> and they're all just sort of hidden in the pages of like normal books. Looking, oh. yeah. it's like it's weird. This one looks really heavy, but it's kind of empty apart from a papery <laughs> rustling noise. And so, just, uh, oh, yeah. oh. I was, I was, I was hoping he'd, um, he'd get in there and open a book, and it'd just start screaming like it in a reference to Harry Potter, because there was a forbidden section in that. Where that happens. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, he he finds out from one of these books that um, there's a dra- massive dragon glass cache. Uh, there's a bit, there's, dra- there's a dragon glass mine on Dragonstone. Mm. So he, yeah. he writes to John to say, "Look, this is where you got to go to get your dragon dragon glass." Yeah. Um, oh, Gilly and uh, and and Little Sam's there as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Little Sam seems to have grown pretty quickly, but uh, we, we're yeah, looking... I noticed that. But again, this is the timeline thing, isn't it? It's just because it's happening to you in screen time doesn't mean he hasn't spent two years carting books around the Citadel, um, which I will allow them to get away with because there are plenty of other great moments. Yeah, but if he has spent two years carting books around the Citadel, what's what's been going on at Winterfell? Have they just been sort of stick standing around for two years? Yeah, Wait, I mean that's what that's what forward. you do, isn't it? In the in the north when it's cold, <laughs> sit around, telling yourself that even though you're not doing anything, at least you're here. Not like those <laughs> soft southerners with their pies. Yeah, 
I think there are timeline issues here, aren't there? But let's, yeah, let's not there get definitely into that. are timeline issues here. But that could very well be a, a meaningful. That's a name for the TV movie of the making of Game of Thrones. There are timeline issues <laughs> timeline here, issues. aren't there? Colon <laughs> the Game of Thrones story, because that's undeniable. That has been true since book five, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we leave the Citadel, uh, Sam's um, sort of. Wandering along this line of cells, um, just sort of putting the food down, and mm. one hand reaches out, covered in um, grey scale, oh, and yeah. and then we think, could it be? And then we hear the voice, and we think, yes, oh, yes. it is. Hey, that's why you employ Ian Glenn to play that role, isn't it? <laughs> so when he goes, what's happening? You go, Ooh. yeah. So it's Sajor has made it to old town, has been stuck in a cell. Um, it looks like things aren't going so well for him because now his entire arm is is full of this grey scale. God, we don't even yeah, see the rest brutal, of him, wasn't it? You sort of don't want it to be that he's going to have any more part to play in this because I think we are in danger of straying here dangerously towards um, the sort of real makeup making somebody look like a lizard territory, which was <laughs> li- last last attempted and failed in Super Mario Brothers the movie. And I don't think any of us want to go back to that. But that was what I thought of, saw of when I saw his hand and I was like kind of oh no. No 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 no. None of your mushrooms. None of your Dennis Hopper with weird eyelids. No 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 no. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um so he asks about uh Daenerys. Daenerys Stormborn. Um, has she arrived? He, does, yet? he doesn't. Matt, Matt, does are you telling me he doesn't call her Khaleesi? Khaleesi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he does. No. Um, but anyway, he asks about her, which gives us that at that very moment we cut over to Daenerys on the boat as she makes her way to Dragonstone. She la- she lands there. She sort of she puts a hand on the on the sand as she uh, finally sets foot on on you know her home soil. Um, she walks through the uh, through the castle. I don't think we've ever seen Dragonstone like this well no, before we in the daylight. And I've um, often wondered about that because it is supposed to be this like really important place. And Stannis was there for what felt like a decade, and yeah. we never saw it. We saw the map room, and mm-hmm. then it. But then that was that was just always sort of where Stannis is at. They yeah. never did establishing shots, which I assume must be about budget. Yeah, perhaps. probably. Yeah, um, I thought so. But. Um, which is interesting because obviously that must mean that making it, making an external CGI shot of a castle must be far more expensive than even I would imagine. Mm. Um, but um, but yeah, I really liked it. This I'm a big sucker for overbuilt castles. Me. Yeah, I think it, I think it kind of works in a way that we're seeing it for the first time as well because you know it's just sitting oh. through her eyes as well. I yeah, think if that was an editorial decision, it's bullshit. But actually, I I I do quite like it also. Yeah, yeah. So she she goes through the castle. She's um she tears down a um a Stannis stag banner, which I thought was quite good. Yeah. Um, because he is because obviously he's finished now. Um, yeah. She runs a hand along that big map table, and then almost all of this, which is a good sort of few minutes of sequence, is just no dialogue. Oh, it's until, great, isn't it? Yeah, and so at the very end, she says, "Shall we begin?" Um, yeah. And that's when it hits, cuts to black, and we're like, "Oh yes, dun, here dun, we dun, go!" Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. So ends the first episode. What did yeah. you make of uh, ep-, ep one? Um, I, I mean, overall, 
and it wasn't a lock that I would say this, but it is great to be back in this universe. Like, mm. I, f- I feel like they've kept the story under such pressure for such a long time that at certain points over the last six seasons, it has felt like a massive extended tract about how nothing ever goes right with extra breasts, right? And, um, and actually... You know, this is where we are able to, and the last few episodes of the last series as well, it starts to tell the story that it's been promising to tell this entire time. And so, and, you know, I recognise in making that a criticism and saying, what have you been doing for the six seasons before that? You know, I am possibly displaying my ignorance. Possibly I just need to get alongside the format. But I have, there have been plenty of times, as you know, when I've been like, oh, can we not just get on with it? But now... The world's been really efficiently built. The characters have been layered so subtly and so effectively. And we are starting to engage the story that we have been told all along is the main story of this this kind of universe. And I just loved it. Really, really did enjoy it. Um, mm. I also want to say about that last scene at the end on Dragonstone is, I tell you what, Peter Dinklage, it's good to have him back. Just <laughs> what that man can do with, it, with his face, with a completely dialogue-free four minutes on screen fantastic absolute <laughs> just loved it just absolutely loved it yeah great well um yeah i thought i thought it was a lot of a lot of setup this first episodes are often like this a lot of setup and like just sort of saying right here's where all the pieces are before we yeah, start yeah. actually you know moving things along which i assume is going to happen next week yeah. um but yeah that's what we thought of it what did you think you can always email sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at sharkliveroil and Facebook as well. It turns out. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, we will be doing episode two very, very shortly because um, we need to get it out before episode three starts. Um, yeah. But until then, uh, yeah. What do we say? How do we end this normally? Until then, goodbye. I'll do it. There we go. Do it. And yes, creative but apt. Classic, next I would time. say. Yeah. Classic, that's what it is. It's not underboiled. No, 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 no. It's classic. That's what it is. <laughs>